Chapter 7 of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. In this division of the work, we shall examine a passage of Scripture upon which abolitionists build their theory of the Negro's natural and mental equality with white men. This passage of Holy Writ, upon which hangs the claimed excellence of that race, is written in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 26, as follows. God hath made of one blood all nations of men, to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times of four appointed, and the bounds of their habitations. The arguments drawn from the scripture by abolitionists run thus. In the veins of Adam, the first man and great father of all mankind, the blood of the negro race, as well as the blood of the other races, flowed free and full, on which account his equality with all other people is clearly made out, as they believe. But to this opinion we reply that there was never any negro blood in the veins of Adam, nor blood which produced the black or African race, naturally. Whoever believes there was, will find it necessary to prove that there were black men in the very family of Adam, and that they continued on down the course of time, as part and parcel of the antediluvian population, till the flood, which it is not possible to prove. Should we allow that Cain's mark, which was set upon him by the divine power, was that of a black skin, this would not prove that it was derived from Adam's veins, but from a curse, rather. The mark, however, as held by the Jews, was not any affection of the skin of Cain, but an affection of the nerves, by which means he became a paralytic, or trembler, since he was called Nod, the vagabond or the trembler, which also gave the same name to the country whither he fled, from the face of his father's family. If that mark was a black skin, yet this could not affect the children of Cain, unless, together with that mark, his nature and constitution was also changed so that his race could partake with him of that curse. But were we to allow this, so as to make out the being of negroes before the flood, yet they could not be the progenitors of the present negroes of the earth, as all Cain's race, with all the other races, were lost in the flood. On this account, we are the more confirmed in the belief that the first negro of the earth was Ham, a son of Noah, and that Cain and his people were no more negroes or black men than Adam was. If, then, the blood of Adam did not produce a variegated multitude of human beings in relation to their complexions, differing as widely from each other as do black and white, then the blood of the white and the black man did not flow in the veins of Adam as such, or in this variegated condition, so as to produce by natural generation 
black, white, and red, with all the hues of the human race intermixedly, like cattle or the fowls of the air. Adam's blood, as the text reads, was but one blood only, not many bloods. This one blood could produce of itself naturally, but one general character of human beings. This, we think, is an incontrovertible position, proved true in the experience of all ages by the progenies of the different races which now exist. This was certainly the opinion of St. Luke, who was a physician, and of course a learned man. A philosopher, who wrote the famous passage above alluded to, as well as the whole book in which that passage is found. For he calls the blood of Adam in that scripture one blood, and no more. Of this one blood, God made the two other bloods, as we have shown on the first pages of this work. Into these two new bloods, God infused, or created, two secreting principles. One, depositing between the outer and secondary skin of the body of one of these men a white mucus, causing the skin of that man to be white, and between the outer and inner skin of the other a black mucus, causing that man to be black. That such is the fact now is well known to physiologists, who admit that these mucuses cause the differences in the colors of all the human complexions. Did all these mucuses float between the inner and outer skin of Adam? If so, then he was a very mottled-looking object indeed, being red, black, and white confusedly mixed together. The creation or infusing of this secreting principle into the blood of Japheth and Ham was miraculous, and no more difficult for the performance of the divine hand than was the creation of the mucus, which gave the red color to Adam's skin at first. That a variety of nations has been made out of that one first blood is the very thing the writer, St. Luke, means when he says that God made of one blood all nations, etc. He does not say that all nations, all colors and kinds of people existed primarily in that first blood of Adam, but that out of or from that blood the other bloods have been produced. From that scripture, therefore, as we deem, the equality of the negro race with the white race is not made out, as the color, formation, woolly hair, thick skull, pointed posteriors, large foot, pouting lips, wide and flatted nose, low forehead, hollow and compressed temples, narrow monkey-shaped waist, wide chest, angular-shaped legs, were not, and could not have been, the direct and natural propagation of Adam's blood. But, says one, if it was God who made this change in the blood of Adam, when he formed those two sons, Japheth and Ham, so that, contrary to nature, 
Noah and his wife became the parents of two races of men entirely diverse from themselves, how is it that the negro man is not equally honorable with the white man, seeing it was God who was the author of this curious miracle? It is made out that he is not equal, not only from the everywhere staring fact of the actual difference there is between the white and black races, but also from the ability of the Creator to make of one blood as many nations of men as he would, some to honor and some to dishonor, exercising his power arbitrarily, as does the potter over the same lump of clay. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Thus has God seen fit to do in creation of the two races of men, the Negroes and the Whites. One is degraded by natural tendencies, with a curse or a judicial decree to announce it, and the other with a blessing equally judicial, both being dictated by the Holy Ghost from the lips of Noah. As to the intrinsic superiority of a white complexion over that of black, there is no question, for by the common consent of all ages among men, and even of God himself in heaven, there has been bestowed on white the most honorable distinction. White has become the emblem of moral purity and truth, not only on earth, but in eternity also as it is said of the saints, that they shall walk with the Lamb in white, not in black. Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And be clothed in white raiment. When Christ, the Lamb that was slain, appeared to John, the beloved disciple, on the isle of Patmos, it was in the splendor of white. See Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. The same is said by Daniel, to whom this same glorious being appeared some five hundred years before his appearance to St. John. See Book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 9, as follows. I beheld till the thrones of earth were cast down, and the Ancient of Days, God Almighty, did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, being excessively white. In this same character, as to appearance, he was seen on the top of a high mountain when transfigured, as stated by Matthew, chapter 17, verse 2, where it is said that his face shone as the sun, and that his raiment was as white as the light. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, the very throne of God in heaven is said to be white, as follows. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. The Savior of mankind, though born of a Jewish copper-colored woman, was nevertheless a white man. This complexion, which characterized the body of God incarnate, was such as pleased him, or he would not thus have appeared. 
the proof that he was a white man is derived from a letter written by a roman senator from judea in the time of augustus caesar to rome in that letter which is now extant the man jesus christ is said to have been a man of surpassing beauty having a bright fair complexion with hair of the color of a ripe filbert which is inclining to the yellow or golden color his eyes were of the hazel or blue cast his forehead high smooth and broad his stature tall and exceedingly graceful every motion and attitude bore the stamp of perfection over all of which there was an indescribable sweetness as well as of resistless command if the hair of his head was light colored and his eyes of a bluish hazel then he must have been of a white complexion as no copper-colored jew arab or indian ever have such hair or such eyes this being true it adds another proof that in the estimation of the creator the white complexion such as is possessed by the race of japheth is more valuable than black or red or the son of god would not have chosen a body thus complexioned to make his appearance as the second adam or the lord from heaven are not these instances sufficient to establish the point that white has obtained the most honorable distinction both in heaven and on earth over that of black could this be so were there not intrinsically something more valuable and pleasing to the divine being in the fulgence of whiteness than is in its opposite which is black white is the sign of life and being for previous to the existence of all created things over the whole face as well as throughout the whole space of boundless shoreless fathomless interminable eternity there was relatively nothing but one ocean of the blackness of darkness light which is white was therefore the first sign of created being and is a fit similitude of the uncreated god of whom it is said that god is light john chapter one verse five black in all ages has been the sign of every hateful thing if a man is uncommonly wicked he is said to be a black-hearted wretch as a traitor a liar a thief a murderer etc sackcloth of hair so often alluded to in the scriptures was a cloth that was black and was referred to as the sign of mourning judgment and death hell itself which is situated somewhere in the vast womb of eternal night outside and beyond the whole universe of god so far off from the pale of creation and the space occupied now by the great family of suns and worlds which may yet be taken up by succeeding creations to all eternity is spoken of as being the blackness of darkness jude verse thirteen in second peter the same place hell 
is again referred to as being a place of darkness where the angels who kept not their first estate are bound in chains of darkness and are reserved to punishment to the opinion of the superiority of white over black the negroes themselves subscribe in the fact of their always and everywhere insisting that they ought to be called colored people and not a black people as they esteem it extremely degrading to be called negroes or black people but says one this kind of involuntary confession of the blacks respecting the disagreeableness of their color arises out of their being in countries where all power influence wealth rule government etc are in the hands of the whites but turn the tables and step over to africa if you please where you will find the negro man in his native glory walking abroad in his primeval independence having not a dream in the visions of his soul that a black skin is not a handsome and becoming complexion we will step over to africa as the thing is easily done and see whether it is really so by making inquiries of travellers who have made themselves familiar with their manners and customs their loves and antipathies as being pertinent to this subject we shall make a few extracts from damberger's travels in africa this man is a good witness as he was many years in the interior of that country having ran away from a dutch military garrison at the cape of good hope and fled into the interior hiding himself among the kaffirs of whom he learned the language of the negro nations from thence after a long time he travelled by piecemeal alone and always nearly naked the whole length of africa full four thousand miles commencing at the cape and coming out at morocco near santa cruz being sixteen years in performing the journey passing over sixty degrees of the globe keeping along on a western side of the continent at no great distance from the sea this journey of damberger was commenced in seventeen eighty one over sixty years ago and ended in seventeen ninety seven this work may be seen in the state library at albany new york during this journey damberger fell in with a tribe or nation by themselves called matamans with whose chief he remained some days to rest this negro king was a powerful man as to bone and muscle but went about entirely naked as did all his people except a slender covering of the waist a little distance from the residence of this chief there was a son of his whither damberger was desired to accompany the king on a visit this son had two little daughters one about nine and the other seven years old who on beholding the white man as he drew near with their grandfather came running to meet him 
but instead of remaining to be caressed by their grandfather, they immediately left him, and clung to the white man, though a stranger, leaping and playing about, and crying out with great glee and satisfaction, Ye no colo, ye no colo, that is, white man, pretty white man. See Damberger's Travels, Volume 1, page 175. This was the voice of nature speaking with the tongues of these children, in approval of the white man's complexion over their own, the same as they would have done on finding a pretty flower, a tree laden with berries, or anything that is pleasing to their sight. The same kind of preference of many of the tribes among whom he wandered was shown to Damberger, as well by the men as the women, who would gather round him, calling him handsome because he was white. Some would, in the most unreserved manner, lift his garments which he wore about his waist, and examine the sign of his sex with cries of approval, desiring a union of his blood with theirs. Volume 1, page 99 and 128. By one of the tribes this man fell in with, who were called Kinonians, he was scrutinized more closely than common, in relation to the idea above alluded to, and being highly approved of, on account of his great beauty and whiteness of complexion, they were strongly minded to detain him against his will, for the improvement of their race by amalgamation. On this account he made his escape by stealth, being assisted by a young negress of the tribe. Volume 2, page 103. Thus Damberger was received wherever he went among the black nations of Africa. To the eye of civilization, this poor runaway from the garrison of the Cape must have been a frightful-looking being, as he was nearly naked, his skin sunburnt and scaly, his hair and beard grown to a most hideous length, poor and emaciated in person. And yet, with all these disadvantages, the negroes, men and women, and even the children, were delighted with his beauty. When, for the first time, a child of the white race sees a negro man, it is always frightened by the horrible apparition. Even to a man, or any person of adult years, the first sight of a black human being gives them a shock, or a feeling of the most singular character, mixed up of pity, disgust, and wonder, not experienced by negroes on seeing a white human being for the first time. This admiration of the blacks, bestowed upon the white nations and individuals, is the involuntary voice and approval of nature, which speaks always the truth, far enough removed from the influence of circumstances. When the famous traveller Mungo Park was in Africa, and, having occasion to ascertain, in a certain place, the altitude of the sun, it was noticed that a powerful young negro man, as to size, a prince, as they say he was, but naked, 
paid very close attention to the arrangement of the instrument, the quadrant in particular, and saw that they were doing something about the sun, when he cried out in evident distress of mind, Black man, nothing! Lawrence's Lectures, page 420. Here, probably for the first time in his life, a thought respecting his race, being black and degraded, arose in his mind, occasioned by the comparison of himself and people with the white men then before him, who appeared even able to measure that flaming globe of seeming fire, the sun, which had glared for ages along the highway of the heavens, and the thought alarmed him, so that in his native tongue he exclaimed, Black man, nothing! Another evidence in support of the belief that a white skin is preferred by the negro race is afforded in the fact that, among the kings and petty chiefs of the Africans, a female who may chance not to be as black as common is more highly prized as a beauty, and considered an acquisition of immense importance. In every part of the world, it is a matter of boasting with negro men and women if they can show that they have white blood mixed with theirs, or if they can get themselves united in consanguinity with the white race. This is the same also among the Indians. It is a very rare thing, if it ever happens at all, for a negro man or woman to boast of the purity of their African blood or of the intensity of the blackness of their bodies, or wooliness of their hair, while the contrary is the fact, as they are rejoiced at any departure in their progeny from the baleful hue, whether among white nations or in the wilds of Africa. Were it not for this trait in the character of their being, namely, their dissatisfaction with their formation and complexion, there would be still greater reason to judge them as unwanting in natural intellectuality. There is another position which the pleaders of Negro equality and excellence urge with great impetuosity, from which they infer that the God of the human race never intended their enslavement. This position arises out of the circumstance that the Creator having given to man in Adam the control, rule, and government over all the animal creation in their subjugation, making thereby all nations and all races of men lords alike in this particular, as is seen to have been the case, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and chapter 9 verse 2. The first was said when God was about to make man, as in the first quotation. The second was said, as in the last quotation, after the flood, to Noah and his family. As to the amount of the first scripture, it can have no application to the Negro's case at all, in making them lords in that particular, equal with white men, over the animals of the earth. As during all the ages of the antediluvian world, there was not a negro on the earth 
except Ham, the son of Noah. As to the amount of the second scripture, in relation to the Negro race, we do not in the least deny their equal lordship with white men over all the animals of the globe, but we deny that their equality can be made out of premises so small, because God has given to the race of Ham some equal privilege with the race of Japheth, is he, therefore, in all respects his equal? Though the negro race have an equal right to the elements of nature, as have all animals, yet this cannot and does not elevate the standard of their capacities. The same God who gave to man both black and white alike, the equal natural lordship of animals, has also, of his own good pleasure, placed the negro race within the control of his superior, which is as certainly said in so many words by Noah, as that it is said that God in the beginning made the heavens and the earth. The position is too far-fetched, too circuitous, and winding to bear the straightforward light of truth as all experience and observation in all ages prove their inequality and mental inferiority with white men even themselves being judges as they never have claimed so high a standing as a people that we are aware of having thus passed through the inquiry respecting the original equality of the negro race with the rest of mankind as claimed for them by abolitionists on the ground of the one blood argument derived from the book of acts and the fact of the negro's equal lordship over animals we pass to an examination in some degree of their general as well as particular and personal character during which it will be more and more appear that they are not, have never been, and can never be, the equals of white men in almost all the mental powers and capacities of human nature, and that they were thus produced by the divine hand. As o'er their limbs a cloud of darkness lowers, so hangs a mental gloom upon their powers. The ray divine gives not so fair a flame, nor shows as much the glory of God's name, as on the white man's brow his soul, his face, is seen to shine so pleased creative grace. Yet who is he that boasts? For can the clay have glorying thoughts or proud words to say? End of section 7